Please refresh your page. We don't have batteries, huh? Live stream has now started. That's in the cheek of this guy. Oh, sick. It's better than his version. They ain't better than his. All right. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa raka nabiyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Allahu Akbar. Nice to see you, Mazita, but Jeeva, come on now. You know what I mean? Come on now. Special. Come on. Hey, Jeeves, you're right. You come. Uh, by the way, folks, Jeeva's in the house. That's the only thing that needs to be said. All right? Mashallah, what a surprise. Jeeva chooses what night to come? The night that Shazad Salim is in bed and not picking the phone up and nobody, what's going on? And he, uh, the thing is, he's not even watching the football. What a waste, subhanAllah. Yeah, and he, the one night where literally we've, we're, we're down to our bare bones in terms of people and attendees, literally 96 people here, 10 maybe. And, um, and he, no, he's not picking his phone up, so I called his boy Omar and I go, Omar, where's your dad? He goes, he's asleep. I said, son, how the fish did you let your dad go to sleep? He goes, why? Oh my God, LP. So then you hear him on the phone. Shaz, I know you're watching him. He's watching this now because we've already woken him up. So he goes, is he, yeah, of course, yeah, he's posting, yeah. So he goes, he, uh, yeah, he's posting. So today we're going to make this point go viral. All right. Omar goes up to him and says to him, Baba, Baba. And he's shaking him. Uh, 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 uh. Baba, Baba, wake up. Uh. Baba, it's LP, LP, it's 7.45. He goes, what, 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 what? Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. <laughs> and what I really should have done, is to then stick it in, whatever, whatnot. I sh I've gone soft. That's exactly the problem. I've gone soft. I said, Shaz, you know what? You just chill. I'll do the phone style today. No problem. And um, we'll get through. And we have. So Alhamdulillah. So Shazad Salim, I want you to, I want you to know the way that you've disrespected you. By the way, she hasn't come from Oldham. Oh, she has. But we're not considering it from Oldham. We're considering from Birmingham. That's the way we've got to look at it. Isn't it? Yeah. You come all the way from Birmingham for the clashes at Salim and you disrespected her. And for that, to be honest, I don't think there's any coming back. That's the first thing. Second thing, everybody that's online, if there's anybody online, <laughs> because I've seen like three people online, yeah? Then there's a humming sound in the back. By the way, that's the, um, whatever that is. No, it's not the fan. It's the speakers. No, it's not the here. It's speakers. It's the speakers, isn't it? So I think what you're hearing... So what are they hearing then? Then it's not the fan. No, that um, sound is the speaker. Actually, I don't think we need the speaker on. Wait a minute, hold on. Um, it's not. It, it, speaker. I think she's right. Then Mazita's right. It's the light then. It's the light. Those two there. No way to turn it off. Oh, you can't. You turn it off here, can't you? Yeah? No, here. Just, just off. Do 
Okay, Fusa says it can't can't hear it. So if you can't hear it, then it's not that important. Alright? How this reckons it got worse? It didn't get worse, okay? Your perception of it got worse. Right. So what were we saying? Huh? Blackout. Yeah, I got no idea with that. Huh, okay, right. So first of all, Shazad, Bestie, Full, you disrespected Ajiva. I'm not happy about that. Number number two, we got mashallah Timbits in the house. Okay. That's the only I'm gonna go around. Now 10-pack, which is about perfect for the amount of people actually here. <laughs> yes? No, no, it's okay. You guys, uh, you deserve it. Well, let me just take my one. Let me just take my one. There is thingy. Which one's a jam one, man? Can you tell? They have. They have, bismillah. Oh, you have them. You're right. You'll get some, don't worry. All right. Oh. Sugar. The Jews come through, yeah? The Jews came bearing gifts. You sick guy. Right. Now, listen. MashaAllah. Guys. Oh, my goodness. This is an Arab baby, yeah? They don't do it in the UK. Coconut is not done in the UK. Guys. Coconut. Galaxy. Oh, it's inverted. You can't do anything. What a shame. That was pretty poor. I'll be on a diet, aren't you? That's why. Guys, all the lads over there behind us, over there. Now, like, if you're going to sit six miles away, then you, you're going to miss out on a chocolate, innit? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's okay, it's okay. We'll throw him some chocolate, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Guy will go all the way up. Put a chair, yeah, no problem. All right. So, Bismillah. This is important, folks. I mean, you guys aren't going to break this, but you guys online have to respect this because it's like we've already seen levels of disrespect from Shazad Salim, but the levels of disrespect if you break this rule is going to be unforgivable. No talking about the football, no talking about the score, no indicating happiness. By the way, pointless exercise, Bob's, by the way, because by, when we get down there, everyone's going to be honking, and if it's on, and if it's quiet, then you know France won. So what's the point? Bro, I guarantee you that the second you hit Kingsway, you'll know whether Morocco's won or not. Guaranteed, bro. Bro, the whole Manchester's gonna air up. What are you talking about? Okay, all right, respect it, okay? No one talking about the score, no one talking about the game. Disrespect it, okay? Just respect it. We're here, we're, we're, we're doing our dars when it could have been something else, all right? Anyway. Walaikum uh, to Shakira. Walaikum everybody that made the effort to come especially to uh, Saadia who's looking for a chocolate shower. Right, here's a problem, Harris, that we don't have an audio recording because Shazad Salim has got the charger. Shazad Salim has got the screen. Shazad Salim, it's a, it's, by the way, it's a miracle that I bought my iPad. What did I bring my iPad for? But I thought, you know, freezing cold, by the way, meaning I had to hold it in my hands. Oh my God. Can he record it from home? Uh, he, no, yeah, the, the audio can be pulled from the video, but it's a poor quality one, isn't it? We have like a professional job. Look, I've got the machine here, fully audio record. No, no, no batteries. Yeah, no batteries. Yeah. I'm guided by that, you know. Anyway. Oh, Shazad Salim, you lame paggy. Right. Welcome, Lama, who's actually in a really cold place. 
Umnuh is in Calgary, where it's like minus 30. I know people are complaining about minus four or five. Aberdeen, which I'm going to, by the way, like a dumb packy on Friday, and of all times to choose, minus 17. And then Calgary, minus 35, and God knows what. Anyway, alhamdulillah. So today, what we're going to do is, uh, can someone post for me the notes, please, from somewhere, Mesa, to help us out? Yeah, Mesa's in Edmonton, obviously, which is even colder. Uh, uh, Mesa, uh, 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 post me the notes, please. Um, on the uh, incontinence, urinary incontinence. And also someone please post me the link that I mentioned last week. I said it's like, like a homework, that we should read this a piece. But what I thought actually is that we should uh, cover it in the class. Um, because actually I make, a lot of I make a, quite a bit of reference to this article. And I don't think I've ever kind of um, gone through it, per se. The issue of a person that is suffering um, incontinence, either urinary or fecal, or IBS in which they have constant wind passing, or constant passing of wind without IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, or which is the most common cause for this fatwa, which is istihada, which is continual vaginal bleeding, which women then mistaken for menstruation, and it's not menstruation because of its uh, uh, thingy. So, Mesa, I need the notes, but let's just, uh, because I need to do the notes first before I open that link. Anyway, I'll read the Arabic of what we're covering today. And then I'll do just, if she doesn't find the notes, then I'll just do a thingy. Uh, so, the Imam, uh, Imam Hajjawi, he says in the text of Zad al Mustaqni', he says, oh, here we go. Shazad Salim. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Right. So he says, وَتَسِحُّ خَلْفَ مَنْ بِهِ سَلَسُ الْبَوْلِ بِمِثْلِهِ وَلَا تَسِحُّ خَلْفَ مُحْتِثٍ وَلَا مُتَنَجِّسٍ يَعْلَمُ ذَلِكَ فَإِنْ جَهِلَ هُوَ وَالْمَأْمُومِ حَتَّى إِنْقَضَتْ صَحَّتْ لِلْمَأْمُومِ وَحْدَهِ وَلَا إِمَامَةُ الْأُمِّيِّ وَهُوَ مَنْ لَا يُحْسِنُ الْفَاتِحَةِ I don't think we're going to get to that part. So, oh, sugar, it's not translated in English. I thought I had translated it. All right, okay. So, I'll just tra translate it just generally anyway. So, the, the prayer is uh, only valid behind someone who has urinary incontinence if he or she himself has urinary incontinence. All right, that's a bad translation. That's why I don't like translating off the cuff. But basically, it means that it, the prayer is valid as an imam and a follower if the imam has the incontinence, urinary incontinence, only if the guy behind has urinary incontinence as well. So the one who has urinary incontinence, he can't be, basically the, the text is saying you can't lead the prayer unless you're leading a guy who himself has urinary incontinence. Okay? وَلَا تَصِحُّ خَلْفَ مُحْدَثٍ وَلَا مُتَنَجِسٍ يَعْلَمُ ذَلِكَ and it is not valid behind the one who is in a state of ritual impurity, yani muhdathin, yani he has broken his wudu, or mutanajis, meaning that he has some kind of filth on him, uh, on his clothes, najis, and he knows about it. And he knows about it. That will be more than enough for our class, okay? More than enough for today. All right. So. Let's talk about this opening statement, which is about 
Salasul Bowl. All right. Sheikh Uthameen on 239, he says, well, A continual flow of the urine and just not able to stop it. And the continual doesn't mean like a tap. It means even drop, drop, drop. And it doesn't mean every second. It can be every five minutes, every 10 minutes. So urinary incontinence is a state as opposed to an amount. All right. This, this point, by the way, of state and not amount is so important to understand in purity. Right. Especially for women, because um, for them, this rule applies to their menstruation on a daily basis. Yeah, um, because when they are trying to ascertain whether um, they are menstruating or not, then uh, those that understand the ruling will enter, will consider, will stop their prayer, as they say, will stop praying once they see any sign of menstruation. Now, why is this important um, for us to understand? I mean, if you understand that, you get it. That's great. But the reason why it's important to understand it from a knowledge point of view is because a lot of these ladies have medical problems that they go to a doctor for who doesn't understand this, right? Either a Muslim doctor who doesn't get it or non-Muslim doctors or gynecologists, even specialists, who don't understand the needs of a Muslim female. And when they give medication, especially if they have heavy periods, heavy bleeding and the like, right? or far more regularly, far more regularly, they're giving women tablets for, to go on holiday. And what, when a woman goes on holiday, she doesn't want to be in menstruation, right? She doesn't want to menstruate when she's on holiday for halal reasons and haram reasons. So there, what's going on is that the doctor will then prescribe both medication and frequency and timing of that medication based upon a Western Kuf kind of mentality, right? As opposed to an Islamic mentality. I.e., a woman who goes on holiday, non-Muslim, doesn't care about a trace or a tiny bit or an X or a Y. She doesn't want to have the associated symptoms. She doesn't want to have the mess, blah, blah, blah. And as a result, they might give a tablet which is not so strong for example, or more uh, often they will give a tablet such as norethisterone, for example, later, meaning three days before you go on holiday, <coughs> three days, two days before you go on holiday, four days before you go on holiday, because the concern here is not some really massive 100% effective type of tablet that removes every single trace, but rather it'll get in the system, it'll start working, it's enough, and it will start to reduce things, uh, you know, to a level where you're not worrying so much about trace, etc. The difference with a Muslimah, if she's taking it for any reason, if she did, would be either because she's taking it for the same medical reasons because she needs it reduced or if she's bleeding too much or whatever. But most of the time because she wants to go on Umrah or whether she wants to go to Hajj and she doesn't want to menstruate during the ritual times. And for that woman, what she needs to know is that she can't afford to take a risk of three days before going on a holiday because even the tiny spotting, and when I say spotting, you have to understand that when a woman spots, it literally is a tiny spot, right? And, you know, people who don't get it will say that's nothing. Actually, if you apply that rule to breaking of wudu, like bleeding, it is actually nothing. You wouldn't have considered your wudu to break if there was a small spot of blood, for example, right? We've already covered that in fiqh, that your blood breaks your uh, wudu when it becomes a shocking amount, if you remember. Something shocking, which is a large, significant amount, right? And so therefore, there is actually this principle of significant and insignificant in Sharia. But when it comes to menses, 
there is no, uh, uh, it's like a, its own, its own uh, standalone rules. There is a, uh, no such thing as insignificant. Even if you spot, then that is uh, to be considered. And if it's menstruation, then you have to stop praying. And if it's not menstruation, then you've got to apply the rules of istihada. Now, I want you to imagine a woman, how does she make that decision? She makes that decision looking at a couple of factors, right? So first of all, is it the right time, right? So when she has a spot, she'll be able to say that, you know, for example, if she had a menstruation last week and then five, six days in, she's absolutely pure, everything's fine, and then she starts bleeding again, it's clear that this is not menstruation time. It needs another month yet for it to come, another 21 days for it to come back into the game, right? So, um, so it's not the right time, or it is the right time. Secondly, this is not a localized problem for a woman. This is an internal hormonal difference. And as a result, the hormones change. She goes into a certain mood. She gets flushed. She gets irritated. She has inflammatory pains locally. So you feel that it's the right time. So first of all, technically, is it the right time? Secondly, do you feel bad off mood or all the rest of it? Third, the menstrual blood, you need to remember what it is. This is turning into like a review session of menstruation, but that's no uh, problem um, uh, there. Um, uh, so the third is that, remember what menstruation actually is. Menstruation is not random blood. Menstruation is a process, what happens every single month, where a woman's uterus or her womb, where a child is conceived, prepares to receive a child. Sperm, egg, fertilize it, nurture it, and then put it into the womb proper. So the uterus itself, it develops a lining which is going to welcome the egg to fertilize it properly. Every single month, it's getting itself ready. It builds itself up all month, all month, all month. And if a sperm comes and fertilizes the egg there, then it carries on and there's no blood because then that then layer would then turn into effectively what becomes the womb later. But if there is no fertilization and there is no pregnancy and conception, then it sheds that entire lining every single month. So you've got a whole bodily organ basically being passed out through the vagina every month. Now, the vagina itself itself is an organ which is clearly going to have the, the ability to bleed as well. And so you're having an orifice which is bleeding for whatever reason, whilst also having a certain time of the year where an actual organ of the body in its entirety is being shed. And that's the lining of the uterus itself or the uterine wall itself. And that lining, if you imagine, is not like, you know, bursting something and blood coming out. It's the whole lining. So you expect it to be bitsy, pieces. Its color is different. It's not fresh oxygenated blood. And so, therefore, when you understand this theory, we are expecting uh, to differentiate menstrual blood by it being more bitsy, more thicker, more clotty, more darker, more pungent in smell. That are the characteristics that will make a woman clear that, yeah, this is menstrual blood. And it would be, um, it would also have a progression. So there would be other matter as well. It wouldn't be clean bleeding. There would be other matter, white, this, that, whatever. You'd have like a small start, then it'll increase, and then it'll start to taper off, and then it will stop. These are the, there's quite a few clues there, like a 10 odd clues there to knowing that, yeah, this is my menstruation. Vis-a-vis istihada, uh, uh, which is just vaginal bleeding for any other reason. And you see that translated as irregular bleeding, irregular vaginal bleeding, irregular uterine bleeding. All of these phrases are work. Istihada basically means uh, non-normal, non-menstrual bleeding. And if you think about it, if it's not the lining, then it has to be fresh, 
has to be bright red oxygenated or more likely to be that it's going to be cleaner its smell is going to be more less pungent it's going to be thinner more you know whatever uh, uh, uh thinner yeah and um no inflammatory pain on its expel uh, when it is coming out because it's not associated with inflammatory pain it's not associated with the whole wall being broken down it's just bleeding kind of locally and the big clue the biggest of all clues is the wrong time timing doesn't make any sense right this is not the right time for me for it to bleed some women will bleed for weeks and months and that's why this ruling or the fiqh around this chapter is based upon istihada as opposed to urinary incontinence which is a very rare occurrence whereas istihada is a very common occurrence obviously the longer longer time is not something so common um etc um so with all of that uh, being uh, said sheikh uthameen says um and it is a condition so menstruation is normality this is important whereas istihada is a disease quote unquote it's an illness it's an abnormality and because it gets classified into abnormality it gets its own special fiqh rulings and then we build upon that our analogies so istihada is the asl for us the default position for an analogy for uh, abnormality and then all the new things that we see where it's you know medicinally such as urinary incontinence fecal incontinence there are things that happen to the mouth incontinence you know we spoke about that a couple of weeks ago if there is a person that's not born with sexual organs remember we spoke about that hermaphrodites and and uh, ibn qudam has said the person used to uh, defecate through the mouth for example which is crazy right so uh, the point is is that all of these then are going to be built upon the the rulings that we develop for istihada right now that being uh, said let's just finish off this paragraph then we look at the paper he says uh is not able to uh, and the person is not able to stop it so it continues without stopping you're not able to stop it and that's because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is testing that person but with that continuous hadith, that impurity, and there's absolutely no doubt that this is a maraz. Yeah, this is a illness. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, he makes a statement here, which is that a person will never appreciate the blessing of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala until he gets afflicted by something like this, and it's the absolute truth. I mean, people who live with this is. It's like the worst nightmare ever. It's a living hell, and it's 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 incredible how they get themselves mentally through it. Physically itself is a challenge. Physically, having to go need toilets. How if it's not a large amount, but small drop, drop, drop every whatever. Then it's all about cleaning, uh, about uh, keeping yourself padded, and oh, just an absolute nightmare. Auzu billah, auzu billah, So anyone yani, that gets afflicted by that then Allah Musta'an. Uh, how does a person pray and make wudu when they have been tested with such a condition? Um, the answer is, Shaykh Uthameen says that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala said in his uh, book, وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ And Allah did not place in this religion difficulty upon you. Surah Al-Hajj verse 78. And all of this deen, alhamdulillah, is ease. And the manner of the, uh, the manner of wudu and salah for this person is when the time for prayer enters, then you will wash your private parts and you will protect yourself. What the hafad? Yani, 
what that basically means is that you will apply whatever needs to be applied for women. It's pads and tampons and all the rest of it and towels and sanitary, uh, whatever, as far as it goes, depending upon the, the flow. And if it's um, uh, uh, urinary incontinence and fecal incontinence, then you've got these nappies and adult nappies and you've got these different types of uh, products. Everything that you would do back in the day, of course, very rudimentary, didn't have elasticated nature to be able to stop leaking. So there would need to be elaborate kind of uh, wrapping and so on and so forth. And the reason I'm going into this detail, you might think why all this unnecessary detail, is because if you understand how, I've told you many times before, when you study the fiqh of something, you've got to remember the context in which the fiqh was developed. So for example, you will see very commonly that women are not allowed to go to the masjid when they are menstruating. And I follow the minority opinion that they are allowed. Fundamental for me making my decision in that sense is that when they were making that uh, uh, fatwa, they had a very real fear of the masjid being uh, soiled. Yeah? A, a leaking menstrual blood, which is the worst of all worst things, if you can think about it. And so, now, I'm not saying that's the only illah. Let me make it clear. There are hadith. There's a real debate to be had about the spiritual state as well. But just put that aside. I want to say that in addition to the spiritual argument, the physical one was a real one. Right? And even in our modern times, when I say modern times, I remember Sheikh Salman al he made this uh, fatwa quite a while ago. And uh, I mean, it's not his fatwa, but I just remember that when he gave this fatwa maybe 20, 30 years ago, even there's a difference between 20, 30 years in the Muslim countries and today. And so he was like, you know, yeah, I believe it's okay uh, for a woman to go, but she must wear the appropriate kind of sanitation. And she must not have any risk of leaking in the masjid. Now, even that kind of conversation today is like a shocking statement. Like, you know, is that even possible? Well, the truth is, is that with the kind of products that we have today, it's not very likely. But the problem is, is that have you got the product on? Right? That's the, the nightmare of a, of a woman, right? Or a girl or whatever. That something starts and you're not obviously all the time wearing something like that. Because you don't have a constant illness. I'm not talking about incontinence. I'm talking about istihada, which can start like that. And so there is, I, I want all uh, women who hear this debate and they're thinking like, you know, are these scholars living in prehistoric times? Actually, the answer is yes. At the time when this was being formulated, that was the reality. It was probable, actually, that there would be soiling of the masjid by such a situation. Whereas today, it's improbable. And I think that this should not be a, a primary cause even though, subhanAllah, I tend to find myself also saying the same thing. The two conditions for a woman, she's going to go to the masjid uh, uh, as a, in a menstruating state, is that one, she's got to make sure, takes extra precautions, that she doesn't you know, make, a, make a mess or whatever. And second, it's such a weird thing to say, and second, that uh, if the space is restricted, small space, yeah, then priority's got to be given to those that can pray there. Not you, like, sitting in your position, taking up the place of someone who needs to be there because she can pray. Which again, you see, again, it just goes to show you either parrot fiqh or you think about your deen, right? When you parrot this just like willy-nilly, most masajid never have women that come to that level, right? And most of the time this question is being asked about the haram, you know, which are absolute massive areas. There's not a chance that a woman goes in demonstrating and she's blocking another woman, right? She's actually taking the space of maybe 500,000 people, yeah, in an empty space because women are just 
standing God knows where and leaving huge gaps anyway. So she's doing a zero harm to anybody. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, at least from a fiqh point of view, it's, uh, um, it's, uh, it, well, anyway, it, it is what it's right. So let's look to the ruling then. Let's, uh, you, can, you can open up this thing. I'm going to open it up. Um, and I'm going to go through now this document. All right. The link is uh, there. It's called the ruling on making wudu for those with irregular vaginal bleeding, otherwise known as, otherwise known as istihada, or incontinence, uh, or excessive flatulence. Okay. Now, I wrote this a few years ago, um, and basically, this was a, a person who'd asked a question. And, you know, it was so common that I just felt, listen, I've got to put some time into this. So this was about a woman who, I, can't, I actually can't remember, whoever it was. But there was one person who had this uh, constant flow of uh, wind, passing wind. Another one had a weak muscle, and so they were uh, passing uh, uh, urine. Okay? Now, I just want you to know that all the scholars... <clears throat> They recognize that this is a problem that takes a ruling and it's easy to do so because we have hadith on the matter. And in summary, okay, in summary, here's the uh, 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 findings. First of all, does the blood of Istihada, okay, and wind and urine, which is flowing continuously, does it actually invalidate the wudu? All right? And the answer, according to the Hanafis and the Hanbalis, is that yes it does and it is wajib to make wudu for every single prayer time yes it does and you've got to make wudu for each prayer time so this these are two things which are separate one this is very important for you to understand for to understand the fiqh the first is it does break wudu now if it breaks wudu then theoretically you've got to keep on making wudu right that's why it's important to understand the two different things. So they deal with the second problem, which is, so they, they all, they, first of all, they've made a statement, it breaks wudu. Then they dealt with the second scenario, which is that after it's broken wudu, you do not have to keep making wudu. So they've made another second big statement and said it's sufficient to just make wudu for time periods, right? For each salah time period. So for fajr, until the maximum that Fajr can last, then you've got, and there's some discussion, we we'll speak about that. And then for Dhuhr, you've got to make Wudu again, and that means washing your private parts, making Wudu, and then that lasts you until Asr, and then from Asr onwards, you do it um, uh, 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 again. And this is not for the prayer, it's for the time. So if you chuck in some Nafals and Sunnas and whatever, all of that's covered. You get what I'm saying? All of that's covered because you are covering a time period with your wudu. The Shafi'i school says, one must make wudu for every individual obligatory prayer and not the time of the prayer itself. So the obligatory prayer itself gets the wudu and it only covers the obligatory prayer itself. And this is regardless whether that prayer is one which is being prayed on time or if it's being made up, if it's being prayed qada because you missed it earlier on or whatever. However, however, it is allowed to pray sunnah prayers with it. So it's effectively like the first opinion, right? But it's a lesser time. It's a stricter application of the rule. And the Maliki opinion, 
is the game-changing opinion. It's the game-changing opinion. It's the opinion that was adopted by Ibn Taymiyyah as well. It's an opinion that I think is absolutely the correct opinion. And I have to say, it seems that Sheikh Uthameen also follows this kind of opinion. And that is that, uh, or a version of this opinion. And that is, it does not break the wudu. All right? This continuous wudu breaking thing is not breaking wudu for the uh, uh, simple uh, reason that you are not intending it to break wudu. It is happening out of your control. And because you have an because it's involuntary and you have no control of, over it, it is not breaking it in itself. But, so for example, uh, let's say that you know, you're going to work and you have istihada or you have urinary incontinence. You're going to work in the morning. You would go, you know, do your stinja, make your wudu, all right? At eight o'clock in the morning. And then you get off to work. And that wudu is going to cover your morning period. It's going to cover your dhuhr. It's going to cover your asr. Let's say that you're in winter right now. You're at work until half five, which means you've got to pray maghrib as well. But at maghrib time, you go to the toilet. Now, going to the toilet is an intentional act of breaking the wudu. That is a conscious, voluntary act that you've chosen to do. And because of that, you now need to make wudu again. So every involuntary act that breaks the wudu is not yani included. And every voluntary act that you do requires a making of the uh, uh, wudu. This is the position of... Uh, this is the position of the... Um, uh, uh, scholars Now What do I want to say here I want to read to you something Which is really nice Okay I'm going to read it verbatim Alright Because It's just like One of those Like It's a All time classic statement Ibn Taymiyyah was asked About a person Who had one of these problems And he said that the ruling concerning this person who has a, uh, is those that have a valid excuse, such as those who are suffering from uh, vaginal bleeding or incontinence or continual discharge of prostatic fluid, which is madhi, yeah, or a wound which will not stop bleeding, etc., etc. The one who is unable to maintain his state of purity for the length of a prayer should make wudu and then pray, and he is not affected by anything which may exit from him during the prayer. And indeed, his wudu is not invalidated by that according to the consensus of the scholars. In actual fact, the most being upon him, the most being upon him is to make wudu for every prayer. Is to make wudu for every prayer. Now, I want to just pause there, okay? He's basically saying that the strictest application that a person could ever take is to obligate upon a person to make wudu for every prayer. Now, if you remember, he just said there just now that there's a consensus that the wudu is not broken. But I just told you that, that for example, the Hanafis, Hanbalis, and Shafi'is, they did say the wudu is broken. Now, actually, they don't believe the wudu is broken, otherwise they couldn't justify the fatwa. However, however, they, if you think about it, are still in, in practice, they're effectively saying the wudu is broken, otherwise they wouldn't make a person make wudu each time. What will their defense be? Their defense will be, but we have a hadith which says to do that. It doesn't matter whether, it doesn't matter whether we say that it is uh, breaking or not breaking. We have a hadith that a person should make wudu for every prayer. We're going to come and study that in a second. So I just want to put that caveat there. He says, he says, the scholars debated concerning the one who suffers from istihada 
under one of urinary incontinence and others like them, such as those who excessively pass wind, more than what would be considered normal. Because this gets asked, right? What, what is a lot? I don't pass wind 24-7. But if I have anything to eat, for example, then I'm passing wind. For example, if I'm in the prayer, it's very difficult for me to hold myself in, which everybody could argue that that's the case. But no, these people are aff afflicted by it every prayer, for example. Or they uh, need to pass wind and, and when it comes to these kind of decisions about what's abnormal, what's not abnormal, you use society and you use your community and basic understanding. And basic urf tells us that a person is not meant to be in a state of passing wind, for example, every half an hour or every hour. That's not normal. That's not normal and that's it. Okay? Um, he says that more than what would be considered normal and those with other rare conditions. The madhab of Malik is that the state of wudu is only broken by an invalidator, such as marital relations, or such as going to the toilet, or such as passing wind intentionally, which is occurring at a normal rate and fashion. So, yeah, any, anything which is a normal breaking act is what is breaking the wudu. Which is, a, which is honestly, it's a mark and statement of genius. It really is. Yeah? But the majority of scholars such as Abu Hanifa and Ash-Shafi'i and Ahmed bin Hanbal said that he is to make wudu for every prayer or for the time of every prayer. This has been narrated by the Imams of the four Sunan, meaning Hadith, and a number of the Hufad have authenticated these reports. Therefore, the most apparently correct of the two opinions of the scholars is that one should make wudu for every prayer or for every prayer time. This is Ibn Taymiyyah still speaking. As for that which might continuously exit during the prayer itself, then this does not invalidate the wudu by the consensus of the scholars. It has been established in the Sahih that some of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ would pray and blood would be dripping from them. Blood would be dripping from them and so a pan would be given to them so that their blood would drip in it. It is also established in the Sahih that Umar bin Khattab prayed whilst his wound was still pouring blood. Indeed, the Muslims from the time of the Prophet ﷺ always prayed whilst their wounds bled. The scholars have also debated the excretion of that which is impure from other than the front and back passages, such as when wounded, or during a phlebotomy, or during hijama, or during a nosebleed, or whilst one is vomiting. The madhab of Malik and Shafi'i is that these do not invalidate wudu, whereas the madhab of Abu Hanifa and Ahmed is that they do invalidate the wudu, except that Ahmed added that only if it's in a large quantity, a shocking quantity, not a small amount. Carrying on. Um, uh, uh, they, uh, they, uh, okay, we leave that one on the touching of a woman. We we'll leave that on the wudu of uh, eating food and so on and so forth. Um, huh. Whoever does perform wudu after the above incidents and actions, then this will be better. The evidence for this recommendation are spread all over this work, but it should be noted that all of the scholars insisted that any najasa, which is physical impurity, uh, also be removed from oneself. Right? Think about that. That you should try to remove the najasa itself, which is the majority of the problem. How are you going to do that when you're outside and working and traveling and whatever, whatnot? So that's why he says recommended. Okay? Uh, all, the, sorry, all the scholars insisted that any najasa also be removed. If, for example, some blood comes to, uh, to be of an amount greater than a quarter of the area in question, then this obligates its removal according to the majority of the ummah. Yet despite this, 
We know that if a wound doesn't stop bleeding, such as what afflicted Umar ibn Khattab then he is to continue praying as per the consensus of the scholars. This is regardless of whether one feels that it is, that it breaks the wudu, or it is said that it doesn't break the wudu, regardless of whether it is a large amount or a small amount. That is because Allah doesn't burden a, small, a soul more than it can bear, Baqarah 286, and because he said, have as much taqwa of Allah as you possibly can. And the Prophet said in the Hadith Sahih, if I order you to do something, then do as much of it as you can. So whatever the slave is not able to do from the obligatory acts of the prayer, these are pardoned from him. He is not to delay the prayer from its rightful time. Rather, he should pray it within its time, however he can. This is the answer to the question which a lot of people ask, which is that I can't get hold of water. Uh, I, can't, yani, get, uh, I can't do a shower. Uh, I've, uh, I've come out of my menses, I'm at work for example, and I'm pure now, dhuhr and uh, asr, and uh, asr is about to expire. You pray according to Ibn Taymiyyah as you are. You will just make tayammum, you will make wudu, you will make what you can, you clearly can't have a shower at work, so you will do it based upon the, what little you can do with water, or whatever is in front of you, and you will not repeat the prayer. That's the big, that's the big one. You know, because everyone could argue that, and then you repeat the prayer later. Of course it's safer to do so. But Ibn Taymiyyah will not obligate upon you to repeat the prayer. Um, but it should also be noted, he carries on, that it is permissible according to the majority of the scholars to combine between two prayers for a valid reason. To the extent that it is permissible to combine for the sick person or the one who has istihada or others with similar excuses as per the most obvious and correct position from the scholars. This is like when the Prophet ﷺ recommended for the woman suffering from istihada to combine between dhuhr and asr with her washing herself just once, because this is for the excused one, someone who has an excuse. This is also regardless of whether one combines between, uh, between two prayers using just one act of purification, and yet then still nothing bleeds from her during the prayer. It is still permissible for her to combine according to the correct position of the scholars. Likewise, the sick person can combine as well using only one wudu if the making of that wudu for every single prayer will make his condition worse. It is a must that prayer is performed within its correct time, either by normal ablution or by tayammum. This is permissible if there is no water available or if one fears harm in the use of water, whether for the reason that it will make his condition worse or because of extreme cold. He can make tayammum even if he is in a state of sexual impurity and there will be no qada. There will be no making up upon him as per the more correct of the two positions of the scholars. And if he makes tayammum whilst he is traveling and there is no water available, then we have a consensus of the scholars that there is no repetition needed from him later. Likewise, a sick person who prays sitting down or lying on his side, he does not repeat anything later by the consensus of the scholars. And likewise, a one who finds himself naked, such as one who is shipwrecked or one who is robbed of his clothes, such a person should pray naked and there is no repeating of the prayer for him as per the consensus of the scholars. Likewise, one who is not able to determine the direction of the qibla, for some reason out of his control, Right? Not laziness, not, yani, you know, not turning his phone on, using his brain, but something that's out of his control. And then prays and then discovers that it was incorrect. Another very common one, right? He does not need to repeat his prayer. And he says here, according to the consensus of the scholars, I want to make a note here that there are a few scholars historically that have been criticized for their use of the word consensus. Okay? Right? Um, anyone know who the most criticized is? The most criticized is Imam Nawawi, right? People used to like almost ridicule the fact that he uses the word a lot. 
and actually most of the time it isn't. It's a big statement to do that. Actually, every scholar is guilty of this. Every student of knowledge is even more guilty of this because to know the matters that the scholars have got ijma'a, agreed unanimous consensus on, is one of the highest forms of memory and knowledge. A lot of people think it's in play, it's not most of the time. Ibn Taymiyyah, by the way, also a bit kind of loose on the ijma'a card. People who play, you know, I just want you to know that the next time you hear someone speak and they say, listen, there's ijma'a on this, just, you know, a little note in your head, yeah, we'll check that later. You know what I mean? There's a good chance that there isn't. I reckon every time that I claim Ijma'a, 50% of the time it's not. Just putting it there, Yanni, okay? So you don't blame me afterwards. At least 50%. Maybe higher. <laughs> so, it's a big problem, of course, because it's a big statement. Sometimes it's an honest mistake. Sometimes it's a, it's it for, all, uh, for all intents and purposes, it's an Ijma'a with only one person going against it, the people don't care. Other times the ijma is differed over because of its definition. Because you have definition, you have an active ijma'a where everybody is coming out and making a statement. And then you have a silent ijma'a, which is nobody speaking up. Now when nobody speaks up against something, that's technically an ijma'a. But there are more reasons to not speaking up than reasons to make an affirmative statement. Silence is... Uh, permission? Yeah, silence is uh, uh, agreement. And if you are silent, if you say to the virgin, you know, you want to get married, she needs to say no. She, she stays quiet, that's it, she's accepted it. Right? So, in principle, the silent concept is a powerful one. But it's not as powerful as an active ijma'a. So people will differ on what they mean when there's ijma'a. You know, like, we didn't hear a dissenting voice. Well, actually, if you look and you... So some people will say, and this is where it gets a bit disingenuous, right? They say, yeah, that's right. But actually, if you study that person's usul, he would never accept this. Using his system and applying his criteria, he would never allow this to go. Now, you're speaking on that person's behalf. Some people will say, you can't do that. He would have said if he didn't believe in it. It's a hitting off in this question. It's absolutely freezing, by the way. It is absolutely free. I can see Fazan about to faint. She's literally about to faint. So I thought to myself, what's going on? It is absolutely free. Is it because of this thing making noise? Anyway, it's okay. This gives us more reason to be. 46 minutes she's had to see has made it. Yeah, you're going to say, Bob's. Can you make sure that you make a good long point this time? Yeah. And nowadays, especially, you know, if you're gonna say that you know this this point of you know the Ijma from the scholars are together now, they're very much very much less unity now. When the word Ijma is being used, it's not being used for con contemporary times. Never. Not never. Yeah. It just makes no sense. Who cares about people today? Contemporary issue is a different one. Contemporary issues are by definition <coughs> matters of which they had. By definition. They're not fundamental rulings. They're fatwas. So of course people are going to differ. Like Ijma has no meaning today. Right? Across Yeah. You will have people from there. Flipping neck, that stuff is sick. Oh my god, what a flavor. Oh well, you know where those big bars are going, bro. In my pocket. Ross, that's a flipping sick one. 
Okay, sorry, boss. Ross, guys, slow down, all right? Just slow down. You know what it is? Take five each, bro. Those flipping packages didn't come to watching football. We deserve that. Learning custom, we do. What? I still give my story about Champions League, by the way, every time I get a chance. 1999, Mr. Thingy, because I became more religious, went for Maghrib. No. Were you even alive, Yanni, for 1999? Say <laughs> custom. Active, yeah? Go on, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Take this point longer, yeah? Across the four months, throughout his week and now, we'll get scholars from those on the right and the students who are studying under them, and the person will say, Ijma'a. You have two different opinions, and they're both saying Ijma'a the same thing, so across the month, is that a problem? So you'll have a Hanafi scholar on a certain issue saying, this, this is Ijma'a. I mean, I've heard this before. Whereas clearly we know that Another might have differs. Oh, of course it's a problem. It's an inaccurate statement. Yeah. Of course it's a problem. But the level of the problem is according in 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 it's in um in um is relative to how serious the issue is. You say like there's a uh, like for example if all the majority of the scholars is well known that they agree on something anyway, then say Ijma is minor. It's when they're all completely different on something and you say it's Ijma'a, then what the hell is that all about? You, you said the exact opposite of what it is. Exactly. Yeah, so it, it, it depends. It's a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah, it's a serious thing, obviously, but it's not, you know. Anyway, um, so this has made me smile because, see, Chief let us down. I told Shaz, yeah, you can never ever rely on Usman to attend a, a class. And he was meant to have class, attend the class today. Or did we cancel that idea? Okay, maybe we, we can't. I'm, I'm like, I'm on, a, I'm on a soapbox at the moment about weddings, right? And I want to, like, rant a lot. But not rant angry, rant. I want to, you know, I want to get informed opinion and a bit of views, and then I want to start building some kind of plan. Because I've seen some things recently that really depressed me. And he said, Chief, he goes, that, listen, you should advertise the fact. You'll get lots of different opinions. A debate on marriage. And the way it's been done, basically. Why did I say that? Huh, I'll tell you why I said that. I'll come to it now. So, as for the one who... So the one who worked out his wrong direction, he doesn't need to repeat his prayer according to the consensus of the scholars. Like I said, I don't think that's accurate. But majority might, okay? As for the one who estimates the direction and makes a mistake... And there was more that he could have done to determine the direction. Could have tried a bit harder. Could have done a few moves. Yeah. Then even he doesn't need to repeat the prayer according to the majority of the scholars. Namely Malik, Abu Hanifa and Ahmed bin Hanbal. The popular position of the Shafi'i Madhab is that he should repeat his prayer. You know, I think that he might be right on the consensus. Actually, he means something different. I think that what he means by that you know when a person has uh, done everything, absolutely everything, and then prayed in a direction, and then someone like weeks later, days later, says to him that was the wrong direction, then the scholars are like, listen, the time's gone, you did everything, you whatever, whatnot. The difference, he could be right on that, to be honest. The one that he's talking about is where a person tried, but they theoretically could have done more. You could have gone outside and asked people. You could have done, and that's where people differ, right? What are you obligated to do, right? What is, what is sufficient? So, for example, someone asked me this question because people who normally ask this question are people who work contractual outside of their normal, you know, home, comfort zone. 
And they said, how far should I go? Now you'll see in the books of fiqh when it comes to the issue of qibla that they speak about that if you are, excuse me, in a Muslim area, it's different to non-Muslim area. And you are far more accountable and the scholars will refuse your excuse if you're in a Muslim area, you don't pray in the right direction. Because you've got so many people to check and ask and so many opportunities, look outside, look at the masajid, look at the directions of the houses. Because in Muslim areas, that's the kind of thing you see, little indications like that. The real question for people like us in the West is, well, if you're not in a Muslim area, what is the limit that you're meant to go to, right? And obviously with apps and the like, you can go quite far. But do you need to ask, is it, is it sufficient to ask a non-Muslim, for example, right? Is it okay to ask a non-Muslim? And I think it's okay. And I think if you ask a non-Muslim to add that direction, of course, you're not asking him or her where the qibla is. But what I found the two most common things you ask them is, have you ever had a Muslim come here before that's prayed? A lot of them will say yes. And they will say yes, that direction, which is not necessarily something to always be confident because they're only seeing it once every year or something. But the difference is, is that it's something that you never forget. You know what I mean? Some random young guy, Fundo coming in and, you know, doing all that behavior. You never forget that that person did that. The other thing which is uh, useful about non-Muslims, um, and I remember being asked the question, which is that, uh, uh, is, this, is the testimony of a non-Muslim uh, enough when she says, or he says, that direction? And you'll see in the books of fiqh, yani, absolutely impossible, yani, that you accept the word of a non-Muslim, whatever. And our response is that, well, with what evidence? There are areas that are very clear that you can't take the word of a non-Muslim in certain issues because of the issue itself. Whereas we're just asking about what direction do you think a person prayed? And that's good enough. The other example is when uh, you say to them, which is what I prefer, which is to ask them, where does the sun set and where does the sun rise? And they don't understand that most of the time because they're not really connected to those, those things. And so you always say to them, when you're in the garden in the summer and you're chilling with your barbie, well, you know, where does it go? And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I see it over there. Mm -hmm. And so then you've got one direction. And well, now you know the West, then you can do another each rated week and then job done, right? So um, what I'm saying is that there is a lot that people can do to work out the direction. That's my point. And therefore, don't just think, oh, you know, just do any old lag and that's it. Guess and that's it. Yeah. All right. Um, the scholars debated the permissibility of making tiyammum simply for the reason that it was too cold to use the water. All right. By the way, I was somewhere today where they ran out of heating. And it's not been heating for the last three, four days. The water was so cold, so cold, that it was, the, you know, when you, you touch it and it hurts your head instantly. You're touching it here and your head starting and it pounding. Mental cold. Amazing, right? The scholars debated, I'd die, and before I give anyone a ruling, you can use TM on me if I, someone tells me that, by the way. Because I'm a pack. Pack till the death, bro. Gang, thug life. Right. The scholars debated the permissibility of making tiyamam simply for the reason that it was too cold to use the water. Does he need to repeat his prayer? Also, the one who prays in Najis closed because he hasn't got access to anything else. Does he repeat the prayer later too? And there are many other similar situations to this. The correct position in all of the above is that there is no repeating or making up upon any of these people. Rather, they should all pray according to their ability and anything which was obligated upon them, which they weren't able to perform, they are pardoned for, and there's no repeating required. 
Neither Allah Most High nor His Messenger ever ordered a person to pray an obligatory prayer twice. And we have explained these issues across our works. The key uh, point to remember is Allah has not placed difficulty in His religion and wishes only ease for them and not hardship for them. And the issue uh, which the questioner puts forward is most deserving of a concession. And thus one sees a consensus of the scholars concerning Allah Alam. Yani saying that the, he at that last sentence makes it clear that there are certain levels of justification and one that's got constant urinary and a drip is the absolute high or uh, you know obvious justification now the reason i brought that point up the weddings point is if you remember a couple of weeks ago or months ago or whatever we were discussing or whatever we were discussing and someone reminded us of a dedu's uh fatwa but sheikh muhammad bin hassan al-dedu al-shanqayti he has a fatwa on what Yes, see, you girls know that, you see, the ladies know that fatwa, bro. The wedding bhajis, yani, you know, when they like turn themselves into, God knows what they turn themselves into. I'm not being, bro, I'm on a warpath, I'm not a customer. Bro, I, so here's the thing. I remember hearing that fatwa a while back, yep, and you hear that fatwa. Oh, right, the fatwa, sorry, the fatwa is, is that that girl, that lady, she uh, can make tiyamma. Makeup on. Well, well, obviously, with makeup on. Why would she make tiyamma otherwise? Anyway, and I'm not going to lie. Here's the thing, right? No? Take the makeup off. Shut up. I saw someone take seven hours to put that bakwas on. Are you kidding me? Nails, this, the. Um, but then caked like you know like walking mummies <laughs> anyway one second we'll get to it in a second so here's the thing i have been saying about the importance of context and understanding how rulings are passed without even applying it myself and i remember that a dedo when he gave this fatwa i was like you didn't just go there no way did you just go and say that and you know he was like it was a tv show and he kind of said it flippantly and I don't know whether he really appreciates that. And by the way, he has made flippant statements, like quick kind of responses, which he then kind of corrects later when he realizes the, the like every scholar, I guess, but obviously the least, because he's a, the, the number one top scholar in the world. Of course he is in fiqh and everything. So when he gave that ruling, it was incredibly controversial, obviously, for the reasons, whatever. And I've got to say that I hated it and I was absolutely stunned by it. But it, it the person who's being stunned by it is the guy who's been to one wedding in the last 10 years. And that is the wedding of the girl who's sitting right in front of us right now. Okay? That's it. Wait, was it was that a wedding? Was it a wedding? Oh, it was a wedding, yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to work out what the hell it was. Was it Nikah or was it a wedding? I can't do the difference. So, I can't even remember the one before that. Right? So I'm not used to that kind of behavior, bro. You know, I'm not used to it. Recently. 20% by the way. So 13% on this bad boy did one hour. MashaAllah, it's good, isn't it? It was good. <laughs> it's 1%, it's 1% battery. Guys, 1% battery, the class has to stop now. Um, uh, so I'm not, well, like, I heard stories, but I never saw it with my own eyes. I heard stories. I remember even the fatwa that he said, I can't remember the, the uh, uh, something like he was talking more about the cost of it. 
he wasn't focusing on the, you know, the thickness or whatever, but basically he was saying that they've gone to so much cost getting themselves ready. You know, they get hair done. Like someone comes and they do their bloody hair. Like just style it. Right? And they put on X and Y and Z. And obviously you stick on this bakwas on the, on the fingers and stuff. Huh? Oh, sugar. Oh. You know, I forgot all this time. They haven't heard a single thing. You know why? Because it had a um, uh, uh, low battery and I'm just ignoring it. And actually it's frozen the video with that low battery sign. You know when low battery comes on the screen? You might press close. Huh? And someone said that uh, 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 it's frozen, the video is frozen. We should just leg that up. Anyway, we lost our chance now. That's what we're too honest. Anyway. What was I saying? Huh? Bob's. I'm speaking to you like you don't know. You probably probably got more than I do, but I don't think you do. Anyway, they have people come down. There's layers to it. They start the night before, and that's like part one. And then you go to the second day, and then it's part two, and then more layers go on, more types and whatever, whatnot. And what what Dedo basically said, he didn't go into all this detail. He basically said that they go to immense effort and long time and huge cost, and. A woman yani, does that, she will be a huge israf, a huge waste of money. So for that bride, we say that she breaks with all she can make tiyamun. I swear to God, I never felt a worse fatwa in my life until I saw some of these women and I thought, this is the greatest fatwa I've seen in my life. Because who is going to... And that's the importance of seeing. Now, the problem is in our heads is that we've got this kind of idea in our... I don't know, maybe you lot don't. I had maybe. That only the begheret women are doing all that. You know, like the, some loose woman or some, you know, bad women. Then I realized, bro, every woman does that. Every woman. Like, they go madness, bro, and age doesn't matter. You know? Bro, I don't know, man. I've got to be careful, as, as Zafar said, we've got to be careful. But <laughs> because people can work things out. But, what was the point I want to make? That when you actually realize the length of time that they go in preparing themselves and the cost of it and the complete impossibility of wudu doing any impact because bro it's like nuclear yani proof <laughs> bro it's layers it's like a full fake face yani going on it's a muslim country you're talking about bro do a muslim see what do you think i'm talking about wudu what do you mean muslim countries <laughs> you think i'm talking about non-muslims <laughs> what is going on right now? Anyway. But, but it's not just for the Is it just for the bride? Why does a guy need it? <laughs> no, yeah, meaning. Well, that's a flipping good question as well. Because the other women get the same treatment. The sisters. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Bro, I didn't see the bride. I'm not going to lie. I've got no idea how bad the bride is. I'm speaking about the people who attended the wedding. I haven't even seen the bride yet. Maybe if I see the bride, I'll say she can only do wudu once a week. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't even seen the bride yet because maybe she's even worse or better. <laughs> or oh, oh, whatever the, the politically correct. <laughs> whatever the politically correct word is, man. Akhir Zaman, I'm telling you now, bro. I want to go into this deep. I need to understand where the problem here is. 
because this is part of just one, this is one symptom of the, the really expensive wedding things going on, 50 grand, 100 grand, 75 grand, which are best stupid monies, bro. And this is the practicing people who are trying to keep it on a down low. I'm not talking about the social non-practicing folks. This is, everything I'm describing is for the practicing, which I'm not going to give a crap about the non-practicing folks. They can do what they want. But practicing Muslims are having to do this issue, deal with it. They're practicing women who are having their night. I'm all for that, man. I'm a Sakin, don't have no life anyway. Go and smash it on the wedding. Yeah, wear what you want, part as much as you want. They're even worried about their prayer. But now this issue needs to be dealt with. And... <coughs> Do they dress up like that because it's literally once in a lifetime? If we... I don't know why I'm not even asking you lot. Yani, let me give you an example. If you guys... If husbands said... Guys, girls I mean, yani, go on every month, have like a proper social. You know what I'm saying? Would that reduce the need to go mental on the wedding? So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wedding thing. Yeah, that's mad. Anyway, so we've got to solve the problem. That, so that's what I'm saying. Mazita's made the big question that I can't remember whether the fatwa was for women or whether it was for the bride only. I can't, I, I can't remember. And I know that I can't see the comments, but I know there's a Korea posted the fatwa and he, was, he, probably, he probably saw it. Um, Oh, God, no. That's the whole problem that we were so shocked because that's not what the reason for the fatwa was at all. It was for... Yeah, I mean, but, 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 yeah, I mean, that's where it's been justified. But, I mean, clearly the levels of what happens is a different level as well. So if a woman is doing it herself, they're still incurring significant cost and all the rest of it. Absolutely never can it be applied as a person yani, who's doing that on a daily or weekly basis. No, I'm just saying, my question was, if we allowed someone to do it, yani, go to that crazy level, but a medium level, would it reduce the madness on a, a wedding? No. So if it doesn't reduce them, what's the point? Then, then let's keep them a bloody home then. It's a disaster. This is a disaster. It's a whole different level. Like on my wedding day, I did not recognize that. <laughs> 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 well, like, bro, you said what we were. Bro, you said. You said what we were all wanting to say, bro. Alhamdulillah, that I didn't say it. Alhamdulillah, that I didn't say it. That you, Zafar, he said it, not me. Okay, we have no idea. We, we have no idea. We have no idea, right, what's going on, who they are. It's honest God's truth. Honest God's truth. You see, I'm in a dangerous territory because people can work things out, but I swear to God, I did not recognize some people, bro, who are close people. But anyway, you said that, not me. That's enough now, boys and girls, right? We need to, I, need, I will get back to this subject, Yanni, in terms of how do we, how do we, how do we change this? Because the situation is getting out of control. It's getting out of control. Now, 
I just want to quickly mention this, yeah? That now I'm speaking now in this article, okay? That was, that was a quote of Ibn Taymiyyah. I've now said, the purpose of this translation of that entire fatwa of Ibn Taymiyyah, it went left and right, and I, the reason I did that whole translation was to give the reader a complete overview and appreciation of the subject matter at hand and how the scholars approach the issue of sickness in general or the inability uh, for those folks who have valid excuses, right? Um, despite all that, my position is that the madhab of Imam Malik is the correct position. That one's wudu is not broken by such involuntary acts such as excessive flatulence or urinary incontinence and so on and so forth. And the reason for that is because of this hadith in Bukhari, right? The whole discussion about this hadith in Bukhari, the reason I mention this is because Sheikh Uthameen quotes it. I'm just going to uh, uh, switch to what he mentions about, uh, uh, because he then recommends Sheikh Uthameen at the bottom of 239. He says that a person, what should they do? They should wash, so if they've got incontinence, they wash their private parts, they protect themselves, and then uh, to, to avoid the blood dripping everywhere or the dirt dripping everywhere or urine dropping every, everywhere. And then you will pray whatever obligatory and nafal prayers that you want, even if the time is gone for that, yani, uh, even beyond the, the prayer time, okay? Because there is no delil that the... the, the, the the, um, that the uh, that going out of that prayer time breaks the wudu suddenly. Does that make sense? So, meaning that if you were to make wudu for dhuhr, you can go and pray asr with it as well. Because there is no evidence that suddenly the start time of asr automatically just broke the prayer. Uh, broke the state of wudu, I mean. The one that he or she just made. So it continues. So he's kind of adopting a Maliki position if you just kind of feel it, right? But he's not going there full. Why? He goes, anyway, there's no evidence to say that it breaks it. But if the prayer time enters, like now is a new prayer time, and it's a limited prayer time, like it's Dhuhr time now, then we will say that uh, make wudu. Because the Prophet ﷺ said to the Mustahada, said to the uh, uh, one that was... Um, uh, bleeding, yani, uh, thingy, uh, 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 irregular. Yani make wudu for every single individual prayer. Now, what is, um, where is this uh, from? This is from hadith number 228 in Sahih al-Bukhari. When Anabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, accordingly, according to this chain, and I've quoted the whole chain, I'm, no, I'm, I'm conscious of the time, by the way. So we might just cut this short. But Abu Muawiyah said that on the authority of Hisham ibn Urwa, on the authority of his father, Urwa ibn Zubair, on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha, that she said that Fatima bint Abi Hubaysh radiallahu anha came to the Prophet sallallahu and said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm a woman who suffers from istihada and I never become pure. I mean, I'm constantly just bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. Should I leave off the prayer? Okay. Should I just leave the prayer? Should I abandon the prayer? No, this is bleeding from a vein. It's not menstrual blood. And when you have your menses, stop praying. When you have your menses, then stop uh, praying. But when it is complete, then wash the blood away and begin praying again. Okay? When the... 
فاغسلي عنك الدم ثم صلي يعني when you it is complete then wash the blood away and begin praying again listen carefully ثم توضئي لكل الصلاة حتى يجيء ذلك الوقت then make wudu for every prayer until your menses starts again now you saw Shaykh Uthameen he said because of the head because of what the Prophet said to the lady and then he said make wudu for every prayer every prayer time the, the, the issue is is that is this the statement of the Prophet and in my opinion it's not this is actually an opinion this is actually the statement of Urwa yani Urwa ibn Zubair an, one of the narrators is his own interpretation his own opinion that a person should make wudu for every prayer and it's this statement okay it is this uh, uh, last part which is what the scholars differed over which is why you got scholars that said you got to make wudu for every prayer time because they think that it was the Prophet ﷺ himself who said that. Now again, um, what I've written here is that uh, this is something uh, when the Prophet ﷺ speaks and it's marfu' and when it is just yani arwa himself, it is mawquf. Anyway, I don't want to go into it yani, in too much detail, but basically you will, you will see um, that uh, Imam Zaylai he said that this extra wording, perform the wudu for every salah, is mu'allaqa according to Bukhari. Okay? It is not something which is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Anyway, for those who are interested in it, you can go and uh, check out the, my, my, uh, the academic side of it. It is long, it is detailed. We've already yani, gone into uh, uh, detail there. Um, but in, in essence, what I want to conclude is, and I'm back now on the comments, uh, is that this issue of um, uh, uh, a person having any uh, menstruate and... Uh, irregular bleeding or passing wind or xyz it is sufficient for them to make one istinja uh, and wudu and they continue on that and they just physically clean they keep themselves as protected as possible and they do not need to repeat their wudu or istinja until they themselves go to the toilet this is a rule that you can stick to across the board for any condition um okay okay Mesa just said that we went through this hadith discussion in the menstruation chapter excellent okay that's very good um I think that a menstruating woman can do it to kafir in the masjid, but I think it's better yani, to just avoid going there personally, but I think it's allowed. Uh, Rayhan said it's for the bride, and it's an opinion based in the Maliki Madhab. Wallah, Rayhan, I want you to post that, because I never heard that before. Please post that in the chat, yeah? So he's saying it's not a dedu's fatwa. I would be fascinated in that, because this is what I want to do. I want to understand how the bride looked like back then. Yani, why is it that people today are dressing and making up, makeuping, whatever, to the level that they're doing it? Is it because of the current, you know, cosmetic, you know, obsession, or is it something that they went to some next levels back then as well? So this is really good. Huh? Say it again. No, but back then, to what levels? Same levels? Clothes. Yeah, proper to the time in terms of like substances and things. But I guess back then it'd be more in terms of clothing and massive l layers and makeup as well, huh? So, yeah. As a view, okay, we've got some, uh, we've got some, oh, we've got questions here, man. All right. Let's just do a couple of these questions. 
but by the way, I do believe that. Without just saying only Muslims do this because. Yeah. I would never understand it. Wallahi, I would never understand this makeup thing. I absolutely detest makeup. I just don't understand it. I really don't. But anyway. And there's a couple of nations that are hardcore at it. Like Lebanese, Arabs. Generally, Arabs more than Pakistan. And then amongst the Arabs, there are levels as well. But Lebanese. And then I guess this one. I don't know what that was going on. Anyway, this is what I have understood. For male and... This is Mahjibin asking a question. She's saying that uh, for male and female working full-time, i.e. 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. and having the urinary dripper issue, the conclusion is that you can do wudu before leaving for work and use it to pray for dhuhr, asr, and maghrib so long as no voluntary access to the toilet use has taken place. Yep. I agree with that. But it has to be a proper issue. Yani, it is a medical condition because everybody theoretically could have some kind of drip here and there. It's got to be something which is of significant nature that's happening relatively regular. It doesn't have to be every hour or whatever, but relatively regular. But do males, but do male and females need to change their underwear before praying at work? So women can use small pads and change before each prayer? No, I don't think that they need to change the, the pad every single prayer, no. The... The, it would not make any sense to give a concession in the making of wudu and not give a concession in the actual clothes that you're wearing. Imagine that we're making you change the clothes as well. It's far more difficult, right? Um, but of course, when it gets saturated or something like that, like for example, on a daily basis, of course, you change it or something like that. Yeah. I've heard that drips up to the size of two, piece, uh, two pence piece is allowed in these situations. Two pence piece is about that much, about the size of my eye. Yeah, but yeah. Um, uh, is allowed in these situations, especially for men. Is this true? No, it's not true. There's no amount. Um, and one mustn't think like that. Uh, that's not correct and not true. I'm sure that we would have covered that in the chapter of the Hari. You can go back towards that. As a beautician, uh, Hassan's asking, I'm a little confused. How can I place his ruling in details to my family? I'm more confused than you, bro. I have no idea what that question means at all. But even if it, whatever it means, I'm, I'm also confused. As a beautician, is it permissible to put makeup on women who will go out in front of non-mahram or to dress up rights? I don't think it's impermissible um, unless you're absolutely certain that something is 100% going to be done, which is haram and she's the, uh, uh, duplicious, uh, uh, um, she is complicit in it. Okay? Um, oh, someone leaked about football. Thank you. Jazakallah khair. Well done, Rehan. No, no, I didn't see it. No, see, top guy he goes, don't go down because someone leaked the football. That's Rayhan, bro. You see that? What a guy, man. MashaAllah. Right. And then uh, finally, uh, at the end of menses, the color and texture isn't like the beginning of menses, neither the cramps, etc. accompany anymore. So if spotting continues for longer than normal menses, it becomes very confusing. Absolutely does. Um, can you clarify what to do for this extended period of time? You make your best guess, right? There is not a 100% thing. And that also indicates that the matter is a flexible one. If you make mistakes in it, it's something which is acceptable. If a woman's menses is cleared whilst at work, can she make wudu and pray or delay her salah? She not can, she must make wudu and pray. She must make wudu and pray, and then when she gets home, then she makes a ghusl, and then she carries on praying. She does not repeat the prayer. And the last planter knows best. The last planter knows best. Jazakumullah khair. Any announcements, anything? Who, who, what, the who? Oh. Are we definitely going on Thursday morning, yeah? We're not doing a cheeky like a little thing on Wednesday. <laughs> All right, we'll have a next lesson next week, inshallah, we'll be here. Shut up. No, 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 no,
Absolutely impossible. Anyway, where's taking the 750? Yes. Can I just ask a question? Just to help my understanding. You know how you mentioned apart from... My yeah. The on the issue of um, as for holidays only, as for holidays. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. For no, for, and he has, or she has no medical problem. No, they have that medical problem. They have a medical problem and, and the concession is being given to them to combine the prayer. prayer. So for the other three scholars, would they be able to make one for the combined prayer or would they need to... One. It would be one. It, actually, it would be... For anyone that would allow combining, they would allow the one wudu. Yeah. Anyone that allows combining would allow one wudu. All right? I don't think there's any major announcements. Uh, Umrah uh, uh, is, is nearly full for those folks that really want to go in March. That's the only program that I've got in next year. Then that's uh, thingy. Aqsa is nearly done. Okay, nearly done. I confirm my side. The 22nd of March. I mean, I'm only telling you guys to go make this public. Okay, don't make this public. Which is Ramadan. It is Ramadan. We're going for the first of Ramadan until the... Uh, six six nights there the first six days of Ramadan which is March 22nd because it's possible that the 22nd night will be if not Ramadan then it'll be the first night of Taraweeh so the, the whole point is to get all that in uh, that's what I have committed now if they are able to pull it off then uh, they'll pull it off and I'll go live maybe a couple of days or whatever keep that in mind I'm telling you guys what do not make it public um, for those folks that are worried, I think you can, yes. You can make an attempt at it. I'll look into that, how, how that works. Yeah. What's all this RR business? Ras. Holiday. Do you know why you know what's going on holidays? Are you imagining any Easter and thingy? All thingy, the costs are crazy. And that's the problem. Too much of a pack. You're looking out for everyone else. I'm paid for, I've got nothing to worry about. But the pack is you've got to pay for it. They end up paying 500, 600 pounds for a ticket. Easy jet on that 22nd is 280 quid or something. That's double the cost of the ticket price. Yeah, yeah. Teachers have got to start. Yeah, fair Allah, that's what teachers got to do. All right, guys. Jazakumullahu khaira. Uh, Samina, what about the bleed you get with HRT? Is that considered as period? No, it's not. Okay? No, it's not. All right. I mean, obviously, at a certain time it will be because it's controlling, but other times it won't be. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. وسبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك اللهم وأتوب إليك شزاد سليم فيع الله and I not accept in the state of Islam useless pack